And if you got your Bibles, you can go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. I'm not going to read it quite yet, though. I'm going to do some, uh, I'm gonna do some uh, context work. I'm going to help us understand where we're at, where we're going, um, especially if you are a guest with us or you haven't been around in a while or you haven't been able to catch up on YouTube. How many of you have been a part of this You Are, uh, you are Here series since the beginning? How many of you have stayed with it? Okay, so there's quite a few of us in here. Um, if you haven't, you haven't been a part of any of this 13 weeks into the series, we'd love for you to go to YouTube. You can get all the messages. Um, but today, we are gonna start a new mini-series in this series, You Are Here. And it's gonna take us several weeks to work through some, uh, some messages all about relationships. How many of you uh, think that we can do relationships better, right? And so uh, this series is gonna be all about relationships. But before we get to the section of Scripture, we're gonna kind of... Uh, Today, I'm gonna grab this now, guys. Thank you. Um, we've been having some technical difficulties with my headset. So uh, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna work through uh, some context so that we understand the backdrop of what it is that we're about to read in just a, in just a few moments. So uh, here's, here's some context to this, this letter. As a, as a reminder, Peter is writing to first century Christians who are presumably living in a volatile and severely challenging cultural moment. Does that sound like something we all might be living in right now, right? From what we do know, Peter is writing this letter from Rome to the churches dispersed through Asia Minor, more specifically Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And for our purposes today, many of us would better know this as modern day Turkey. The New American Commentary highlights the situation of the recipients of Peter's letter, and, and, and I quote, this is, this is a commentary, uh, we know from the letter that the readers were facing suffering and persecution for their, their faith. And it wasn't necessarily state-sponsored, it was more, uh, more or less a product of the culture and societal moment that they were in. And so there was discrimination, there was mistreatment for their Christian faith, their, them following Jesus. Due to persecution and discrimination, the societal rejection, the Christians, because of it, they were, they were tempted, just like you and I, to return to who and how they were before professing following Christ. They were tempted to return to either a pagan lifestyle or return to the predominant faith of the society and the culture around them at that time. In this case, Judaism, a pantheon of gods, Eastern religion, or mystic belief. As Peter admonishes and encourages these followers of Jesus through his letter, as we've been encouraged by it over the past 13 weeks, he transitions in his subject matter to a very specific subject, and that is relationships and the way that unique relationships should be handled in light of the moment that they found themselves in and in light of the gospel. We at great length walked through a section of scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 through 17, as we dealt with how to honor people around us as we find ourselves in the world and the culture that we're currently living in, the house that God built. Have you, you guys remember that little mini series that we were in? Peter then deals with a very specific issue as he continues on in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through to 25. If you've been actually reading the letter, uh, the heading of it would be uh, how slaves were to deal with masters. And, and because that's such an incredibly nuanced piece of scripture and there's a lot of sensitivity around the subject matter, I'm not gonna handle it on the weekend. We're gonna do a sub-teaching on it that we're gonna post on our YouTube page so that I can handle it at length so that we can truly understand what it is that was going on in that piece of scripture and in that cultural moment. Does that sound good? Okay. And so we're doing a similar thing as to how I handled the women in ministry issue in our Defense Against the Dark Arts series. 
So Peter will then move on from that segment of scripture. It's all relational in nature in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, which we're going to read in a moment. And he'll deal with relationships from another angle. He will address marriage and interpersonal relationships. As Peter addresses marriage, he's dealing with a very specific issue in this section of scripture that the readers at that time were needing clarity and encouragement in. This was the issue. Wives who had husbands that were not living in submission to God's word. Not that they didn't believe it, but they weren't living in submission to it, obeying it. In his discourse, Peter's going to say some things that at first swing are probably hard to hear, especially in light of our cultural reality and society as a whole right now. As well, he's going to deal with husbands in this section and how they are to engage their wives. Here's what I want us to hear and why I'm working to set up some context. While for the sake of time today, I'm not going to deal with this subject matter in depth, we will get to it in this mini-series, I promise. This is what I wanna ask you to do. I wanna ask you to refrain from any type of judgment call or emotional dissent and to keep your mind and your heart open as we work through this section. Can everybody say okay? Everybody say Jason, I promise. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> okay, so with all that being said, this is the backdrop of what we're about to read. All that being said, let's read 1 Peter chapter three. Verses one to two. And like I said, a lot of work to get to my practical points today. You with me? Yeah. All right, here we go. It says, in the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they might be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure and reverent lives. Some of you are like, peace, I'm out. The word submit was used. So I said, refrain from judgment. I will get into this later in the series to bring a whole lot more context to it. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, now you guys are completely out, right? You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with the weaker partner. Now you guys are like, I'm completely out, okay? Showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Then he shifts from the marriage conversation, the specific issue he was dealing with with his readers, in verse eight, and he says, finally, all of you, all of us, be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing for the one who wants to love life. Come on, anybody who wanted to love life today? For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. So this is a massive piece of scripture that we're gonna spend the next several weeks working through as we discuss this issue of relationships. But today we're gonna to do a 30,000 foot view on this whole thing. So as we begin our brand new series, mini series, Happily Before and After, I wanna to speak to you from this subject right here. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Garden gnomes and skyscrapers. As we set the framework for this mini series 
and discover the answer to the question, how do we get, how do we get to where we are today when it comes to the current state of our relationships? We pray with me just one more time this morning. Jesus, we look to you right now, the author and the finisher of our faith. And right now I submit these words to you. May these be your words, not my words. We need your word for us today so our minds are open and our hearts are, are softened and ready to receive from you today. And so God, I pray that you would convict us today, that you would challenge us today, that you would correct us today. God, I pray that you would inspire in us the desire to work your word out in our life. And so we honor you and we praise you today in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. Amen. And the church shouted. Amen. Um, y'all remember back in the day when it wasn't dangerous to play outside? Come on, for those of us like 80s and 90s and early 2000s, do you remember that day when you can go outside? How many of you had parents like mine? It was don't come back until the lights come on. Y'all remember? How many of you were in that era? Just show of hands. I just want to know who I'm talking. Okay, so you're all going to get me. Did anybody else watch E.T. and then stick a, like an alien stuffed animal in the basket of your bike and then start doing tabletops? You know what I'm talking about? Ouch. <laughs> Those were the days. Uh, I remember a friend's house specifically uh, in Fresno, California. I'd visit my grandma there. We'd spend some time with her. And I had a friend, and, and we'd go play in his backyard. I had one friend. <laughs> and we'd go play in his backyard, and we'd play Hot Wheels. Y'all remember those, right? Man, do you remember the day of Hot Wheels and Micro Machines? Those were, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. This generation like, what's the Micro Machine, right? Um, so we would play car and we'd build dirt tracks and we'd have like, we'd build little cities in there and the whole nine yards. Like we just had a whole just wonderland going. And one of the things that we used to do in the backyard is we used to like, uh, we would wander through their bushes and trees and we would make up games. There was bad guys and there was, there was trolls and there was dragons. You remember that, like your imagination would go wild with you. And one of the things I distinctly remember uh, in this garden was garden gnomes. Does anybody else have a weird thing with garden gnomes if you see them in somebody's yard? Like you, you wander away from that house, right? Like, I don't know. Um, so this backyard had garden gnomes in it and I distinctly remember them because those garden gnomes would become a part of our story. They would become, a, they would be characters in our story and while they didn't move, come on, when you're that young, they always moved. They were always chasing you. They were always wandering, wandering with you. And, and here's what I want us to realize. The reason that that was such a beautiful time in our lives as kids is because we were in the place that everything was still outside of us, right? Every, everything was pure. Everything was good. We didn't have a care in the world. So everything, we, we conceptually saw everything outside of us. Fast forward to another moment in my life, wandering the streets of New York, went there to go visit with a friend and and as I'm wandering the streets of New York, I'm looking up and I'm seeing all these skyscrapers and, and all these stores and bright lights and, and all of these things that at first swing, when you look at it and you glance at it, you go, wow, humans are capable of building so much unto ourselves. What happened was in that moment, as I, as I walked down the streets of New York, I, I started to think about these two moments that were very uh, there was a juxtaposition going on. One moment I'm a, I'm a child and I'm seeing things outside of me and then another moment I am walking through the streets of the antithesis of human capability. And then there's this space that you start to realize we've changed as a people. One moment everything's outside of us, it's sacred, we can see things beyond us. 
we compute that there's something beyond us, and then the next moment as we mature, everything becomes about us. Y'all with me? From garden gnomes to skyscrapers. The process that I'm describing is the process facilitated by the cultural moment in society that we are currently living in and being raised in. Author James K.A. Smith would describe this phenomenon as being indoctrinated by, and I quote, listen to this, secular liturgies. Commenting on Smith's work concerning this issue, Jonathan Grant, in his book, Divine Sex, writes, our regular cultural practice, such as going to the mall or the movies or Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or you add in, represent the effective dynamics of cultural formation which are shaping the identities of everyone who lives within Western culture, Christians and non-Christians alike. This is what he goes on to say, and this is powerful. He says, such secular liturgies, Smith argues, represent a powerful misinformation of the self that undermines the gospel. Paul the Apostle would write about this with great passion in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through Two, addressing this very issue. This is what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, the pleasing and perfect will of God. Can I just suggest to us today that there is a good, pleasing and perfect will of God for your life. There is a good, pleasing and perfect good for your, for your life from God, for your relationships, for your marriages, for your singleness. Come on, somebody from your friendships. God has a perfect plan and will. Here's the question. Can you and I discern it? Through everything that we're living in right now, do we have the capability, do we have the ability to discern what that is for our lives? You see, for many of us, our personal identity, our thought processes, our perspectives, and the way that we engage in the dynamics of relationships, listen to this, has been curated and formed by a power and an influence we tend to be unaware of, and therefore do not give much attention to. In doing this, the formation of who we are has been outsourced to an authority that many of us did not actually give permission to, and we've become something because of it. Are y'all with me still? Y'all tracking with me still? Many of us have bought into what sociologist and philosopher Charles Taylor describes as a cultural formation and the design of the modern social Imaginary. What I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to have a critical thought process at the, at the front side of this series to help us understand that our relationships are not about feelings alone, but many of us, the reason that we struggle with relationships is because the way that we view ourselves and the way that we view others and the way that we view our relationships has been indoctrinated by the surrounding culture, and therefore we're not standing on the platform we need to in order to build the healthy things that we want. We're gonna get all of you clapping at one moment or another, I promise. <laughs> so Charles Taylor describes it as a modern social imaginary. He works at great length in his book, A Secular Age, to deal with what author and writer James K. A. Smith calls, this is what he, he defined it as, a genealogy of the secular and an archeology span of our angst. John Michael Stipe, lead singer of the band R.E.M., would put it all together oh succinctly when he would write this, that's me in the corner, that's me in the spotlight, losing my religion. 
And for many of us, we can identify with that lyric. Sure, we didn't stop going to church. We didn't stop trying to be a generically good person, but we've begun giving up on or already have given up on a life framework that is guided, guarded, and produced in and through God's word and the work of the spirit. Here's what we've done. We've split ourselves. See, many of us, because of the cultural moment that we're living in right now, we've done the great surgery of splitting ourselves and we put some of us into a gospel section and the other part of us into a secular section. We've said the gospel can inform these areas of my life, but the gospel cannot have any power or authority over here. And for many of us, we're good with the gospel informing our church attendance. We're good with the gospel informing our prayer life. We're good with the gospel informing the, the Bible reading that we do. We're good with the gospel informing our good works, but we are not good with the gospel informing our relationships, our sex, our identity, our dating, our singleness, our marriage. God, you stay in your box and then I'll run my box. How's that working for us? So my hope in this series is to really challenge us. My goal in this series, our goal in this series is not to help you build happy relationships, although that's the title. Our job and what we're gonna be aiming at is to how, how do we build biblical relationships? How do we build God-honoring relationships? How do we have blessed relationships? Come on, somebody. That's the aim of this series. So let's unpack it a little bit more because there's a lot here. In his book, Taylor identifies the progressive nature of humanity and culture from garden gnomes to skyscrapers, if you will. From a point in history where everything was viewed in a sacred and spiritual way to now where nothing is sacred and that which is spiritual is a simplistic fantasy of the hopeless and unenlightened. Everything from sexual ethic to singleness to marriage, friendship, professional relationships. Come on, how many of you agree with me? We've lost our sacredness. And now everything is, everything is designed in such a way that we'll build it unto ourselves how we want to do it. So Taylor highlights, Charles Taylor, the philosopher, highlights for us three features of what he calls medieval imaginary. Here's the first one. The natural world was constituted as a cosmos that functioned in such a way that it saw beyond itself. In other words, people back in the day, if we can just say it that way, people saw authority, power, sacredness outside of themselves. In other words, we defined it as God. Didn't matter what the belief system was, but we defined it as, as God. The medieval imaginary also, society itself was understood as something grounded in a higher reality. Earthly kingdoms were grounded in heavenly kingdom. In some, people lived in an enchanted world, a world charged with presences that was open and vulnerable, not closed and self-sufficient. This medieval imaginary has given way to a new and more sinister imaginary, and that is our current modern social imaginary. It's defined by hyper-individualism, sexual anarchy, robust secularism, and self-focused altruism. This modern imaginary stands in stark contrast, and I'm saying very strong statements because I want us to hear this, and don't worry, we're gonna get practical in just a moment, but I need to build the case for where we're going here. This modern imaginary stands in stark contrast to the way of Jesus and his plan for human flourishing. Now, I love it when I hear people say things like this. Jesus was all about love. 
How many of you have heard that before? Come on. Don't get quiet on my church. It's not like a Presbyterian church in here right now. I love it when people are like, man, Jesus said all loving and nice things. You ever heard that before? Maybe you even said that before. I'm about to burst that bubble. Okay? Because if you read through the Gospels, Jesus gets super challenging. So we're going to read something right now based upon what we're trying to get at here. Luke chapter 9, 23 through 26. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Every shout deny. deny. Come on, every shout deny. deny. He says, let him deny himself, take up his cross, cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, skyscrapers, and yet loses or forfeits himself? Forever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the holy angels. Here's what I'm driving at today. We have to have a biblical vision for our identity and our relationships. I'm gonna say that one more time. We have to have a biblical vision for our identity and our relationships, one that is culturally transcendent and Holy Spirit dependent. Okay? Unfortunately, many of us have settled for an identity and relationships that are culturally relevant and personally despondent. See, Christ in his word offers us a vision for our relationships that help produce in us his great plan for human flourishing, even in the midst of what Paul the Apostle would describe as creation decay. The reason that many of us struggle with relationships is because we do not and have not been discipled in such a way that develops this vision for our lives and relationships. Here's some questions for consideration. So if you have your phone today, if you are a fast writer, I want you to write these questions down because I want you to be able to mull over them, chew on them, if you will, during the whole of this series that we're gonna find ourselves in. Here's the first question. Who am I in view of the modern self prescribed by this cultural moment? Who am I? Who are you? How has the idea of the modern self defined the way that I approach relationships? How is the world better put? How has the world around me defined how I approach relationships? What have I bought into potentially? How has our cultural moment shaped the way that I view God, his word, and my conformity to it? These are big questions. We're gonna wrestle with them throughout this series. These are important questions that we need to consider as we make our way through this mini-series. Here's why. To be found happily before and after, no matter our relational context, single, married, widowed, divorced, friends, community, parents, authority, whatever the relational designation may be, we have to understand that happy, or better put, blessed, is only found in conformity to Jesus rather than anarchy itself. So there's a way for us to walk. There's a way to our identity. There is a way that God has for our relational lives, no matter what the relationship may be. And as we journey through this mini-series, we will touch on many of those relationships. Everybody turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to say this. Say, he's going to talk about you, okay? <laughs> okay, now let me set a few, uh, a few other ground rules that I didn't actually get to set in the first service, and uh, they'll have to come back and, wa and watch this message. First and foremost, to the singles in the house. Come on, all the singles say, hey. hey. Good, good job. 
It was very monotone, like, hey. <laughs> Come on, all the singles in this house, say hey. All right, there you go. Okay, our job, what I'm trying to do in this series, it's not to get you married. I think so many times the singles get a bad rap in church and then, and I feel the angst sometimes when you get, when we're talking about like marriage a lot, it almost seems like that we support like the only, like your life is finally complete. You've crossed the line. Like when you finally get married, can I just tell you, according to Paul the apostle, like married people, they're weak compared to single people, okay? So he says, I wish for you to stay single if you can because there's so much you can do, but if you have to get married, go and do it. Some of us are like, I know. <laughs> So to the single people in here today, I wanna let you know that this series is for you. And our goal is not to drive you to get into relationship, but hopefully to help you develop in this season of life for however long it lasts to the glory of God, that you become everything that God has called you to be. And the greatest version of you is not found in relationship with somebody. Your greatest version of you is found in relationship with Jesus. Hey, we got everybody to clap. Come on, somebody. We will discover, and I'm gonna say this right out the gate so that y'all know where, what kind of church you're at. We will discover that God's way is sufficiently better than our way, okay? So before we close today, I wanna give us some guiding principles, some guiding truths that we need to keep with us as we navigate our way through this series. A couple things that I think are really, really important to us. Need your help today, come on, every shot number one. Here's the first truth we need to grab a hold of. Relationships are the product of who you are and who you are becoming. Relationships are the product of who we are and who we are becoming. Relationships are the product of who I am and who I am becoming. I just wanna clarify all those realities so you don't push it off and be like, oh, he didn't say it this way so I can ignore it. <laughs> Proverbs chapter four, verses 23 to 27 says this, my son, Pay attention to my words. Listen closely to my sayings. And then he says this in verse 21. This is really important to remember. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Then he says in verse 23, I want you to guard your heart above all else for it is the source of life. What the writer of this proverb is saying is there's some stuff stored up in your heart that is really important for your life. And so you need to guard your heart with everything that you are, because if you don't guard it, you're gonna let some things in there and you're gonna let some things out of there that are really important for you to have the life that God has for you. So you gotta put security up around it. You gotta make sure you got the right friends. You gotta, you gotta like ninja guard that thing as much as you possibly can, because out of it flow the issues of life. So you gotta guard it. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly. Don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward, fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path for your feet. Man, this is good stuff right here. And all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet away from evil. Here's what amazes me. It amazes me how many people think that healthy relationships, whatever that relationship may be, are the product of sheer luck and randomness. I mean, if we're honest, I've met so many people, even people who would consider themselves Christ followers who are fatalists when it comes to relationships. What will be, will be. The stars aligned, the clouds moved, right? The butterfly landed on her shoulder, it's definitely her. 
the idea in our modern world is this, that they just, they just happen. It amazes me how many young couples think that the entirety of their marriage is built and defined by sheer chemistry and compatibility. <laughs> no. It amazes me how many singles think that the atmosphere of their singleness is the product of circumstance and situation. The truth is that all of our relationships are first defined by who we are and who we are becoming before they are a product of anything else. This is why you can find one single content with their singleness and then you can find another one losing their mind about their singleness. This is why you can find one person with healthy and vibrant friendships and then find another who seems to not be able to keep or engage in healthy friendships. This is why you can find one marriage thriving and another teetering on the edge. Relationships, first and foremost, are defined by who we are and who we are becoming. Y'all with me still? Talk with so many people who jump from city to city, church to church, table group to table group, event to event, always having the same complaint. I'm just not able to find good relationships. Can I suggest that there's one common denominator in all of that? Now, it'd be easy to think that they're just finding unhealthy people. But here's the truth. Healthy people find and are attracted to healthy people. I'm gonna say it one more time. Healthy people find and are attracted to healthy people. And remember, I'm not just talking about romantic attraction, I'm just talking like attraction, right? Entering that space. And it's amazing how unhealthy people typically tend to find themselves attracted to other unhealthy people. Have you heard this before? Misery loves company. So I wanna give us really quickly a few things if you're trying to like, okay, what's a healthy person? Let me give you a few things that I look for and that I try to build in myself. First and foremost, here's, here's the first, this is what healthy people look like. Healthy people, they know who they are in Christ. Come on, they know who they are in Christ. You're gonna notice about these, none of them have to do with physicality. None of them have to do with popularity. None of them have to do with followers on Instagram. None of them have to do with like position or title. They know who they are in Christ. Here's the second thing. They have a sense of self-worth and dignity. They've developed boundaries and personal awareness. We're gonna talk about boundaries in this series. They prioritize health over acceptance. Here's what I mean by that. How many times have we made decisions on the basis of acceptance that have caused unhealth in us. That's what I mean by that, health over acceptance. Y'all with me? All right? And then here's the fifth thing. They live with character, integrity, and consistency. I know that one's not sexy at all. They live with character, integrity, and consistency. What's character? Character's doing what you say you're gonna do. What's integrity? Integrity is character when no one's looking. And consistency is doing character and integrity the long haul. Character, integrity, and consistency. Doing what I'm gonna say I'm gonna do, doing what I say I'm gonna do when no one is looking, and then doing what I say that I'm gonna do and when no one is looking for the long haul of my life. Character and integrity and consistency. Come on, can I get an amen at church today? That is what a healthy person looks like. And because of this, healthy people look for other healthy people and are attracted to healthy people. 
And I've found when it comes to relationships, there are a lot more people trying to become what they think others want rather than becoming who God has designed them to be and to be in light of God's purpose for their life. The goal is not to become what others want you to be. The goal is to become who God has designed you to be. And then I guarantee you that friendships and relationships and partner, like all that stuff will come. Why? Because then you will be able to define with discernment what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God for your life. Okay? So relationships are the product of who you are and who you are becoming. Number two, every shout number two. Relationships are meant to support you, not fulfill you. Relationships are meant to support you, not fulfill you. Psalm chapter 63, one through eight. God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary. I see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your, na at your name, I will lift my hands. So you satisfy me with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when I think of you, as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. I follow close to you, your right hand holds me. Here's what's interesting about this Psalm is that many of us try to do that with people instead of God. For some of us right now, that, you're like, man, that sounds like a great poem. I'm gonna send that to somebody. Some of the single guys are like, oh, I got some words now. <laughs> but that's not what it is. This, the, the psalmist is communicating his relationship with God. He's saying, God, you and you alone fulfill me. One of the greatest issues that we face when it comes to our relationships is that we are trying to make our relationships do something for us that only God can now, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes today. This is a really important statement. Relationships die or deform when they face the strain of improper use. Relationships die or deform when they face the strain of improper use. Many of us are using relationships improperly and therefore causing them to die or deform. And this comes down to a fulfillment issue trying to extract personal fulfillment from people and things that do not have the ability to give it. Y'all remember Austin Powers, You Complete Me? <laughs> Some of you aren't gonna admit you watched that movie, but sure. It's the phrase of a generation, you, you complete me. Can I, can I just go on record and just like communicate this? Erica, I talk about this, so I'm not saying anything that she doesn't know. Erica and I have a very, very open conversation about this in our marriage. She does not complete me. I do not complete her. We can't give that space to one another. Otherwise, we are setting the other one up for failure. Why? Because they do not have the personal capacity. They do not have the power. They do not have the authority. They do not have the sovereignty. They are not God. I wanna go on record in saying this. Your completeness, the fulfillment that you are searching for in life is found in one person and one person alone, and that is the person of Jesus. The most dangerous relationship you can ever find yourself in is one when someone is trying to receive fulfillment from you or you from them. 
That's the most dangerous, because they're trying to extract something from you that you are not capable of giving. You will lose every time, no matter which way that goes. And here's why. Because it's dangerous because we will overlook unhealthy aspects of the relationship in order to continue to try and receive what it is that we are desperately seeking, fulfillment. This fulfillment keeps us in abusive relationships, sinful relationships, codependent relationships, unfruitful relationships, unfaithful relationships, and generally unstable and unproductive relationships. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> wow, everybody got really quiet. First service was excited. Um, I wanna actually, I wanna, I wanna communicate this in a way that kind of gives honor to everybody. I think the church in, in different moments has, has struggled with the conversation about sex and uh, especially when it comes to our, our, our relational position, married or not married. And we think that everybody just wants to run around and have sex all the time. And while that's like part of the truth, like it's not all of it. Here's what I've actually come to discover. Many of the unhealthy decisions that we are making is not because we want that thing, it's what we want beyond that thing. Some of us are giving stuff away in our lives not because we're chasing sex, it's because we're chasing fulfillment. It's not always because you're horny. I'm saying, somebody's like, did he just say that in church? Yes. We can say these things. Go rig Song of Solomon and then tell me what you think. <laughs> okay, I'm just, horny is dealt with with a cold shower. <laughs> Rethink some things. Go grab a coffee. <laughs> Fulfillment is not. And I put it in those terms, I'm not trying to be crass. I'm trying to get us to like think through this critically. But what we've done is we've made the, we've made the sex issue, the whole, like, do y'all see what I'm talking about? We've made that the driving force. And I've come to realize after many years of talking with people, many years of, of, of past, like pastoring people, it's not that they were just like, I just need this. That's some, but for what, what they were doing is they were chasing the thing that was beyond that they never received from it. Fulfillment. You complete me. No, 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 no one completes you. God completes you. He's the only one that knows the hair's on your head. Fulfillment comes from God and God alone. Many of us are looking for a soulmate to fulfill us rather than the lover of soul to fulfill us. Remember that worship song for those of you who've been around church long enough? Jesus, lover of my soul. That was a great song. Some of us sing that song to people. They don't have the, they don't have the capability. They don't, they don't have the ability. Y'all y'all tracking with me this morning. Number three, Rochelle, number three. Here's the last one. Relationships have an order of importance. Relationships have an order of importance. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Now let's go back to like, Jesus says only just nice feeling things all the time. Wait for this scripture. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through to 27. It says, now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, I just wanna pause there for a second. If you can just conceptualize this with me. I wanna be in Jesus's head when he decided in that moment what he was gonna say to them. 
Right? Great crowds are following him. So you'd think he would be like all like kind of, I'm going to think about what I'm going to say and I'm going to be very careful with what I'm going to say. All these people are following me. That's not Jesus. He turns to them and he says this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <laughs> How many of you agree with me right now? Some of that crowd was like, nope, I'm out, peace. Right? That's wild. The crowd's following and Jesus turns around and says this massive statement. It's loaded. It's harsh. It's strong. It's heavy. You weren't expecting it. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's one of those extremely abrasive statements that Jesus makes in order to really test the hearts and motives of those who are seemingly following him. See, it's one thing to be in the crowd, it's another thing to be a disciple. And what makes this particular piece of scripture so jarring is the usage of the word hate. Now we can say that word now, it doesn't have as much weight to it anymore because we use it as a dislike term. We can go to a restaurant and be like, I hated that salad. Well, yeah, it was a salad. Of course you did. <laughs> Loved that steak. Hated that salad. <laughs> Some of you are like, actually, actually, I hate that steak. I love that salad. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's lost. Some of it stings. Some of it's power. But what's beautiful about this moment is they would have understood the word that was actually being used. We read it and we go, man, Jesus was being harsh. Actually, he wasn't being harsh, so let's bring some clarity. The Greek word that's used is the word meseo. It means this, to consider less or to have in lower priority, to literally, this is what the word means, to love less. See, Jesus had a no holds bar approach to where he was to be placed in the order of one's relational life. Healthy relationships are the product of healthy relational prioritization. Now I'm gonna say this because I wanna I want communicate the strength of this term, Maseo. I love my wife less than Jesus. I love my kids less than Jesus. I love this church less than Jesus, less than my wife, less than my kids. You're like way down here. And I'm just like, <laughs> y'all see what I'm talking about? It's not that we hate, it's that we love less in priority. Here's the beautiful thing though. When I love them less, I actually begin to love them more because the one who's in the top position informs my ability to navigate through those relationships. My ability to love and lead this church is based upon first my ability to, to love Jesus. 
My ability to love my wife is first predicated upon my ability to love Jesus. My ability to love my kids is first predicated upon my ability to love Jesus. It has nothing to do with whether I actually like them or not. It has everything to do with who is first in my life, who is priority in my life. When Jesus is number one in my life, then everything will revolve around him. My relationships in total will be strengthened and more vibrant because of it. He is sitting in the top spot. Here's what happens if we're not careful. If somebody takes the position of number one above Jesus, it's no longer a relationship, it's an idol. And when you have an idol, you are trying to extract something, fulfillment, from them that they are not capable of giving you. And when we do that, we enter into a dangerous cycle in our relationships. And my goal in this series, our goal in this series is to interrupt the cycle that many of us have engaged in to help us understand and see that Jesus in the top position informs everything else. And the greatest health that you're looking for in your relationships is found in Jesus. My wife doesn't need me to love her more. She needs me to love Jesus more. My kids don't need me to love them more. My kids need me to love Jesus more. Because when I do, oh, they're gonna get the best of me. Come on. Now I know, some of us right now, the reason that relationship series, there's two things that happen when a church says, we're doing a relationship series. Some people leave the church for a while because they're like, I don't know. There's too many complications in my relationships. I just don't wanna hear about it right now. And then there's a whole influx of people. They're like, yes, let's talk relationships. And then they start calling that person they've been trying to get with, right? <laughs> so like, come. I wanna acknowledge in this room today and across all of our services is there, there are varying realities within relationships. There are marriages in this room today and all across all of our services that are, that are teetering on the edge. And you're saying, man, Jason, it's so easy for you to just say it, but you have no idea. And I don't wanna minimize that. I wanna acknowledge that. My singles in this room, you are so frustrated and confused because the, the relational world around you, it, it's, it's difficult and it's dark and it's hard. I don't wanna minimize that. So I, I, please, I hope that you hear my words. I wanna add dignity and value and worth to the place and the space that you're in. But I need to say this from the, from the outset of this series. Jesus is more important. If we can get that thing working in our life, if we can get him working in our lives, I promise you that he will set everything else in order. He's the chief cornerstone, the Bible tells us. And so I pray that in this series, over these next few weeks, several weeks, we can do the hard lifting, the hard work. I know some of this is gonna challenge and it's gonna, I'm gonna make you mad at me, I'm gonna offend you. But I just wanna be honest with you that we're gonna try to have honest conversations in here as a church about these things. We're not gonna hold anything back. They're gonna be PG 16 days. So if you get a communication that says, please get your kids into kids ministry, please do it. We're gonna talk about hard things. But I will tell you, 
the top issues that we're dealing with as a pastoral team right now as we talk with people, number one issue right now, relationships. The past three years have exposed the depravity, the darkness, the brokenness, and the sheer frustration that we have in this area of our lives. And so I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm super pumped to be a part of a church that is not fearful to wade into those waters, that we're gonna have big conversations, we're gonna laugh, we're gonna cry, we're gonna doubt, we're gonna dig in. It's part of our mission statement. And I pray that this series is gonna build in us everything that we need to do healthy, vibrant, God-honoring relationships in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, is anybody here for it? Yeah. I wanna invite you to stand to your feet right now as we get ready to close. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. And I wanna pray two prayers. The first prayer is this, with all of our heads bowed. I just wanna ask you just to kind of just lift your hands if you're so bold to do so to your side. You don't need to lift them high, but just, I wanna pray a prayer over us as we get ready to venture into this territory. God, right now, I just pray that for all of us from the outset of this series, that we would have open minds and soft hearts. We'd have thick skin. We'd have the ability to wrestle with things that in some moments are highly charged and for many of us are sensitive. And God, I pray that your grace would just saturate these conversations. That your presence would be here, that we would feel your spirit moving and working through these conversations. And God, right now with our hands lifted to you, we give you permission to move in our hearts and our minds. We give you permission to move in our situations and our circumstances. We give you permission to move in our relationships. We wanna follow you. We want the best. We want your best for us in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, I wanna pray one more prayer today. And that's for those of us today who might say, man, Jason, Jesus is not in the top spot. Maybe you've never been in a service like this before. You haven't had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. I wanna give you that opportunity today. So every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. We're gonna pray a prayer all together. Many of us have prayed this prayer before and we would consider ourselves followers of Jesus, but there's some of us in here that have not yet relinquished the top spot to him. And I wanna pray a prayer today to which we acknowledge that and we say yes to him. I'm gonna ask everybody to repeat this after me, especially those of us today who would say, man, Jason, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I wanna follow him. Come on, would you all pray this after me? Repeat this as loud as you can. Everybody say, Jesus, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my past. I'm giving you my right now. And I'm putting my future in your hands. Save me, change me, make me new. And I declare in this moment that I'm gonna follow you all the days of my life. Today, I am surrendering my life to your plan and your purpose. In Jesus' name.